0: As we continue in this series on Lord Teach Us to Pray, Uh, we want to be diligent not just to learn facts, but to immerse ourselves in the very experience of praying, and I invite you to join me in a time of silence in God's presence, practicing uh, God's presence, meditation, and then I'll lead us in prayer. How rich your blessings, God. How deep our needs. We come to you with all kinds of brokenness and pain. Confession of sin for lives that continually stray and for those things that we fail to do that would heal and help others, bring honor to you. We pray cleansing and forgiveness and restoration and a refilling of your spirit. We pray for those serving in the military and places of danger. We pray for flashpoints of violence in the world, in Egypt, in Syria, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. We pray for our troops that you might bless them and bring them home safely. The leaders of our nation, all the nations of the world, the the leaders of our local governments and state governments. We pray, dear God, that you might work in our lives, make us new by your grace, make us fresh in you by your goodness. Awaken us from spiritual lethargy and apathy. May we never grow comfortable with sin and disobedience. Would you constantly stir and work in our hearts and refresh us with a fresh passion for you. When we're tired, Lord, renew us. When we're discouraged, fill us. We pray for broken lives, broken systems, and for broken creation. And today we would ask that you give us insight Give us your wisdom and grow us in the school of prayer. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. I'm going to read the first 13 verses, the second in the sermon series on Lord Teach Us to Pray. And uh, I'll begin reading in chapter 11, verse 1, and I'll read through verse 13. And I invite you to leave your Bibles open. Uh, We'll be looking at several of these verses in more detail after I read it. If you're able, would you stand, please, as uh, we come to attention, as God's presence comes among us, and uh, as I read this aloud, you follow along prayerfully and silently. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, "'Lord, teach us to pray,' as John taught his disciples. He said to them, "'When you pray, say, "'Father, hallowed be your name.'" Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within. Do not bother me. The door has already been locked. and My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish, or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those? who ask Him. May God bless the reading and hearing of His precious Word. You may be seated. Well, the questions uh, came in, as I indicated, uh, several weeks before this series. I invited you to participate by emailing or Facebook messaging, texting me questions, writing them on pieces of paper, and uh, uh, I tried to keep track of them. Here are some of the questions that came in In preparation for this sermon series, that particularly pertain to our topic this morning of prayer and the will of God. Once we ask God for something, do we need to keep asking, or does that show a lack of faith to continue to ask? Do our prayers actually change God's mind? And how do we know and find God's will through prayer? Young adults, especially, struggle with issues related to marriage or college or career choices and, uh, and ask this question about how we know the will of God. And of course, every age person is interested in knowing God's plan for our lives, so these questions are fairly universal. I would say at the beginning that I want to acknowledge that I get pretty nervous when I hear pastors or teachers or individuals uh, talk about the will of God as if they have a direct pipeline to the holy. I worry when people start talking about knowing the will of God as if they have their own little hotline telephone that they just pick up and God tells them everything they want to know. I I was reminded of this cartoon that I ran across recently that I think says it all. Uh, An older dog is giving a younger dog some advice. He says with his ear, one ear raised, once in a while, pretend like you hear something they don't. It drives them crazy. And, you know, there is a sense in which If you think somebody's hearing something you don't hear, it goes, well, what did I miss? I must not be very spiritual. And I think we all have those struggles, but I want to assure you there's no simple one, two, three step plan for knowing the will of God. And knowing the will of God is not something that belongs to a private, elite, little school of people. It's a struggle for all of us to know and discover the will of God day in and day out and in every other way. So we just need to remember to not be discouraged by some who think with one ear raised, they're hearing something special. I think of all uh, the books I've read on prayer, one that was written just before World War II is still one of the classics that's most helpful. It was written by a pastor in New York City named George Buttrick, a Presbyterian pastor, and he in one of his chapters says that Jesus prayed because Jesus made three assumptions about prayer. Jesus made three assumptions about prayer and about the world. The first is that God is personal. The second is that humans are free. And the third is that the universe is both flexible and faithful. Now let's while that's still on the screen let's think about those for a moment. God is personal. God is not machine, God is not impersonal force, God is person, God is knowable, and that's the foundation of why we pray. Secondly, humans are free. We are not robots, we are not pre-programmed, the Bible does not teach predestination in a sense that it's all mapped out for us without choices, we are not marionettes, on the end of strings as some deity up in the sky manipulates us according to some purpose that's predetermined. This is not a cynical determinism. This is an awareness that the Bible teaches and human experience teaches that humans are free. We have choices. We have opportunities. We make choices, not always good ones, but we make choices. And third, the universe is faithful. That is, the sun always rises in the east. It always sets in the west. But within that framework of faithfulness, there is flexibility, there is randomness. There are things that happen. God doesn't cause them, but they happen because God built within the world a flexibility and a randomness so that the universe is both faithful and yet flexible, and things can change for good or ill. Somebody sent a question in and said, well, why is it that God gets the credit for all the good things that happen and he never gets blamed for the bad. My response to that would be, I found it to be just the opposite, and I want to flip that around. I find uh, this question. Why do we always want to blame God when something goes wrong, but we never stop to thank God for the hundreds and thousands of things that go right? Just think about your human body. One thing goes wrong with the human body, and we start asking why God, failing to thank Him for all the intricate systems that continue to work and all of the ways that healing happens and all of the way that God answers prayer. And so the beginning place for us is to begin with what Jesus was teaching in these 13 verses and what I think Buttrick was on to, and that is that prayer connects us to a very generous God. Though the world is scary... Though the world is not always predictable, prayer connects us to a very, very generous God. And for that, we can give great thanks. Now, um, the scripture in front of us really has two um, main themes, the ones that I, the scripture I read a moment ago. Verses 2, 3, and 4 uh, tell us how to pray, what to pray. That's an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. And then 5 through 13 are back to the reasons of why we pray so verses 2 3 and 4 are what we pray the actual content and jesus taught the lord's prayer or the model prayer now if you're really sharp at 8 15 on a sunday morning if you're really sharp you notice that doesn't sound like the lord's prayer that we just sang and that doesn't sound like the lord's prayer that we usually pray and that's because in the bible there are two different versions of the lord's prayer this one in luke is shorter The one in Matthew 6 that was read earlier by Nicholas is a longer version. And that in itself proves an important point. The words of a prayer are not magical. It's the content of the prayer and the heart behind the prayer. The words of prayers vary, even within Scripture. The methods of prayer vary in our lives. I find the longer I live, the more I need to keep my devotional life fresh, I change the posture and the physical bearing of my praying. Sometimes I kneel on the floor with my hands clasped and my head bowed. Sometimes I pray walking around with my arms raised. Sometimes I might pray stretched out on the floor face down. Sometimes I might pray standing with heads bowed, head bowed, because you see, there's a variety to prayer. But there's a variety to content, too, just as the Lord's Prayer has different versions. So our prayers, the words are not magic. The content is what matters. There are many kinds of prayer. Uh, Wayne Oates mentions this in one of his books, that there are many kinds of prayer, and he starts listing some of the prayers, the kinds of prayers. I've added some to this list, and I want to share with you uh, sort of a mixture of what uh, Wayne Oates and, and what I've added through my experience. There is the Prayer of Adoration, the prayer of thanks, the prayer of communion. And by that, we don't mean Lord's Supper communion. We mean fellowship with God. There's the prayer of self-examination, where we ask God to go through our life and sort of take inventory. There's a prayer of confession, where we acknowledge our sins. There are prayers beyond that. The next slide is silent listening, uh, intercession, praying for others, clarification, praying just to get a clarification on what's going on in our lives or what's going on in our world or what's going on with my motives and the prayer of co-laboring with God where in our praying we actually take up the cause and we cooperate with God in the work that is to be done. There are many other kinds of praying that takes place besides these, but these are the kinds of praying that are just suggestive of the many, many ways that we get in touch with God. Now, in the second part of this, of this passage of Scripture, 5 through 13, Jesus moves from what we pray, the content, to why we should have the habit of prayer. He tells a couple of stories. Uh, the first story is about this man who has friends arrive in the middle of the night, and they went to lodge with him. In Bible days, uh, most people didn't stay in inns or hotels because they were full of prostitutes and thieves. They were not safe. They were not family friendly. So if you had to travel overnight, you would find friends to stay with. So this man's in a panic. Friends have arrived in the middle of the night and he doesn't have any groceries. Maybe that's happened to you. So he goes to another friend's house and he starts pounding on the door. But his, his friend on the inside's asleep. Uh, in the uh, biblical times, the homes were so small and so humble that usually the man, the husband, the dad slept against the door as a safety feature. He was his own alarm system. He would sleep against the door. The rest of the family, the children, would sleep in the tiny living room. Uh, The husband and wife would sleep there. They'd all sleep together because there were no separate rooms. So the man on the inside, sort of bleary-eyed, wakes up and says, you know, I hear you knocking, but I'm not going to get you any bread because for me to get to where the bread is, I'd have to tromp over my children and wake them up. And yet, Jesus says, because of the knocking and the persistence, the gentleman on the inside finally gets up and gives the man what he asked for. And remember, this is a parable, a story of contrast, not comparison. It's not that God is like this. It's that God is different from this and better than this. It's a parable of contrast. If a human being would finally get up and give what was requested because of the incessant knocking... How much more will God, our generous Heavenly Father, give to us when we ask? The second story Jesus tells is a a deeper relationship than friend to friend. It's parent to child. Jesus says, how many of you parents would play a cruel trick on your child, and instead of giving the child breakfast, giving them some serpent on a plate? Can you imagine this last week on the first day of school? Uh, You're getting your your uh, child ready for school she's a little bit nervous and queasy tummied because of the start of a new school year and you promise her a good warm breakfast of oatmeal and you set the plate in front of her and you go ha ha a rattlesnake isn't that funny nobody would do that jesus says nobody would do that and if you as an earthly parent would not play tricks with your children if you as an earthly parent know how to give good gifts how much more Will our Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, God knows how to be generous. And I love this quote by uh, St. Ignatius. We will more quickly tire of receiving God's gifts than God in giving them. We will grow tired of receiving God's gifts before God will ever, ever, ever grow tired in blessing us with gifts because God is generous and God is good you know sometimes the obvious needs to be stated sometimes we say everything except the obvious so here comes the obvious we pray because God answers prayer that's simple enough we pray because God answers prayer we pray because God will never, ever give us anything harmful. Harmful things happen to us, but God won't ever give us anything harmful. And we pray because God gives the best gift of all, God's self. Jesus says, Will not your heavenly Father so much more give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit is God's presence. God's very real presence in our lives. And the best gift that God has to give is God's self, a personal relationship. And that leads us to that section in verse 9 about asking. Because we're in a personal relationship with God, we're able to ask. Do you know that in verses 9 through 13, the word ask is used in every single verse? Ask, 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 ask ask. In every single verse, the word ask is, is used. What's more, Jesus moves to ever deeper, le- deeper levels of asking. The first is asking. The second is seeking or searching. And the third is knocking, a more insistent sort of, sort of uh, staying at it and making some noise. We're more personally invested at every level. Asking, seeking, knocking. And for every action on our part, there's a promise. When we ask, Will be answered. When we seek, we'll find. When we knock, the door will be opened. But here's the most important part that's lost in the English language. In the Greek construction of verbs, it's present tense, and in the Greek construction of verbs, the present tense means continuous action. Jesus says we're to keep on asking, we're to keep on seeking, and we're to keep on knocking. We keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep keep knocking. And somebody asked the question, well, if God already knows what we need, why do we have to keep asking? And the answer is because God wants us to never forget how dependent we are upon him. God wants to build a relationship with us and he wants us to, to be able to come to him. And then somebody, I mentioned the question at the beginning of the sermon, asked, well, is it a lack of faith to keep on asking over and over and over again? No. If you are convinced through scripture and your own witness of spirit that you are on the right track in what you're asking, you just keep praying and you keep asking, you keep seeking and you keep knocking. One of the reasons, I think, that God allows us to pray and pray and pray a long time before a prayer is answered is because something in that situation has to grow and be ripened and be changed before the prayer can be answered. But more often, I think the reason that God wants us to keep praying over a long period of time about the same thing is that something in us needs to change. Something in us needs to ripen or mature or get in alignment. Consistent, persistent praying is more often to change us than it is to change the situation. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, prayer is getting in line with God's willingness. You see the difference? Prayer is not talking God into something that God doesn't want to do. Prayer is getting my life in alignment with God's purposes. Barbara Brown Taylor always has a way of putting things. She says, prayer is sharpening my attention, not getting God's attention. Prayer is sharpening my attention, not getting God's attention. Earlier this summer, Janet and I were able to attend a swim meet uh, that our granddaughter was taking part in. Uh, it was the regional final swim meets, so there were lots of different uh, cities represented. It was in the Kansas City area, and a huge uh, swim meet arena. And we were way up in the nosebleed section, but when Marin uh, jumped into that pool for the for the freestyle. Uh, and she started swimming, we all started yelling and screaming at the top of our lungs, parents and grandparents just making fools of themselves, yelling and screaming. And, and uh, between, between heats, the thought struck me, do you suppose our yelling and screaming made any difference? Do you suppose it made her swim any faster? I don't know. But it sure was fun taking part in it. Many years ago, uh, we took our family to a Kansas City Royals baseball game. Uh, The Kansas City Royals, by the way, are the American League team that's in the third place in the Central Division. (laughs) In the middle of August, Uh, just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, And our children were small, and Joel and I were down near the dugout as early as we could get in the stadium, and. Frank White was signing autographs and we got his autograph. And as Frank was signing uh, the piece of paper for Joel, Joel looked at him and said, hit a home run, Frank. And Frank just smiled and nodded. Well, later in the game, Frank hit a home run. And Joel was little enough, he thought he caused the home run. (laughs) Which was just fine with me. Now, did Joel saying that cause the home run? Depends on your theology, I guess and your philosophy. Well, I think about this a lot, and I know you do too. A prayer concern comes to our church. You start praying. I start praying. Hundreds of people start praying. And something happens. Something changes. Somebody gets healed, or somebody comes to Christ, or some some marriage gets fixed, or some crisis is averted. And we rejoice. Now, did we cause God to change God's mind? I'm not smart enough to figure that out. What I do know is, Jesus told me to keep asking, to keep seeking, and to keep knocking. And Jesus told me to tell you to keep asking to keep seeking, and to keep knocking. Because God is personal. We are free. And the universe is both faithful and flexible. That's what we're called to. And we let God sort all that other stuff out. You know, in the model prayer, in in the Lord's Prayer... Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Does it ever occur to you that God doesn't give you all the groceries you're going to need for the rest of your life on the day you're born? You know, God doesn't come to the hospital the day you're born and say, now here's all the groceries you're ever going to need till the day you die. No. He gives us today's bread. And then tomorrow we have today's bread. And that's that's true spiritually too. I know most of us would like to know God's master plan. You know, what we're supposed to do down the road, next decade or uh, next year or next month or next week. And this isn't a sermon against planning, but, but you know what? God doesn't usually parcel out His will in great big chunks. He usually gives his will in daily bread portions. And see, what happens is he calls us to a relationship. He gives his Holy Spirit to those who ask. He calls us to a relationship before he ever calls us to a job. So he calls us to a relationship of trust and relating and invites us to ask and seek and knock. And the more we ask and seek and knock, the deeper the relationship, and the deeper the relationship, the more we're able to understand the asking and seeking and knocking, and the more we understand that, the deeper the relationship, and it's a wonderful, vicious circle with each informing the other as we grow as disciples, asking, seeking, knocking, and finding God's will day by day and moment by moment. Let's pray together.